It's the H Word. I'm Becky. Hi, I'm Dan. And we're back. We are uh, still in different cities. That's right. Where are you, Dan? I'm in Toronto. What's February. the weather? Well, <laughs> what's the weather like? <laughs> uh, we're recording this in February. <laughs> um, uh, it is it is mild, very mild. Oh, like what does mild mean for February like, in, uh, in Celsius and Fahrenheit? Okay, Celsius, <laughs> we are at a plus three. Oh, wow, and that's balmy. Yeah, yeah. and Fahrenheit, we are... Um, 30, 30 degrees? No, no, warmer than that. Really? That's like 55 degrees or something. It's 38 degrees. <laughs> 34 is freezing, isn't it? Uh, Really? Americans, is it fun to listen to Canadians be idiotic about Fahrenheit? <laughs> I never, I, I, so many years and I don't know. I can't do it. I learn it every once in a while when I go to the States and I'm in the States right now. Oh, um, yes. Tell us. So I'm in Los Angeles. It's a breezy, I'm going to say 15 degrees Celsius. So I think that's 100, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I'm doing it now. I'm doing it now. 59. You're at, you're at 59, and I am at 37. <gasps> I said 38 after I did the math in the right direction. Yeah, you're right. You're 30, right. 34 is freezing? Um, yeah, uh, uh, 34, 32 is freezing. Okay. They meet up again around 45 below or something, which is what... So that's... This is also very Canadian for our non-Canadian listeners to just talk about the weather endlessly, <laughs> to trope about us. Um, it was 45 degrees two weeks ago, 45, sorry, 45 below where I was two weeks ago when I got Celsius. here. Celsius. Celsius. When I got here, it was like 25 degrees in Los Angeles. So that's, that's a gigantic, it's a 70 degree spread and my body was very confused. Um, it's, it's nice to be here. It's sunny. I'm looking out the window of the backyard of this Airbnb. Uh, there's a lemon tree and there's chickens in the yard. So if you hear chickens, that's, um, that's normal. Chickens in the yard. Yeah. Wow. I found not a, not a typical Airbnb. I don't know. It's my first time. <laughs> this is but your first time doing it? Doing Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. So it seems normal to me. It's great. Uh, right before we yeah. started recording, I just took our kitchen scraps out and fed the chickens. There's a couple bunnies in a hutch. Uh, now, are there other... <laughs> you the, are you the caretaker of these animals? No. Um, this, this home, it did... When it was listed, it said that sometimes she offers discounts for people to take care of the chickens. I offered. She said she didn't need anyone in February because she's around. So we're in the, like sort of the back house attached to the house of the people who live here. And it truly is my hippie dream come true. Wow. Every morning, these chickens are sort of clucking when we wake up. There's also an airport somewhere near here that that's very loud. Mm. But I'm into it. Wow. I mean, I'm into my new LA lifestyle. I might never come back. Sounds, yeah, sounds kind of uh, idyllic. Blissful. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the fruit trees down here, it's pretty crazy. So, there's, there's food everywhere. <laughs> there's there's food, food everywhere. Food hanging off all the trees everywhere. Oh, right. Yes. It's yeah. Bountiful in this way. Yeah. What were, you, what were you going to ask? Uh, before we started recording, we were we were doing notes on uh, how the episodes have been going. I think they've been going well. Uh, we know that you, the fans, have been enjoying it. The feedback's been so great. Thank you so much. Oh, it means so much. Um, but you were saying you're feeling like you're maybe too zany. Yeah. Why? Why did you want to pursue <laughs> this particular angle? Well. <laughs> Yeah, I think I feel like a pressure to perform, which unfortunately, in my case, sometimes means I'll be too wacky. <laughs> and uh, and so you've been listening back and thinking you can even though even though I would never have said that you were being too wacky. Oh, really? At all. No, but you've been hearing it that way. Well, when you listen to yourself back for me anyway, I can remember my thought process when I was doing it and I can, I can tell when my mind was scattered and I wasn't listening well and I can sort of tell what my preoccupations were. <gasps> oh, did you 
what was that thing on the on the internet about whether you think in words or like shapes? What's that? I don't know. What? There was a thing going around. It's like some people have like a narrative going on in their heads and some people just have like feelings. Okay. Which one are you? Did you not hear that? No, I didn't hear that. Well, what do you have? Do you have words in your head or do you have, I don't, you know what? Honestly, I have words in my head, so I can't understand what the other one is. It's like (laughs) blobs of thought or watercolor images. I don't know what else it would be. Yeah, I I don't. Uh, I would need I would need a different um, explanation of the difference between these things because that's, I, I that's fair. I'm I would be choosing words because I don't even know what the other one is, but I don't know that it's words for sure. I think we're both words. You think we're both words? I think if you can't conceive of the other one, your words. But I will say this, and this is something I've said before, uh, uh, is that I don't I do not think of my life in terms of stories at all. Um, oh, I, in fact, there's something as we are both improvisers, full disclosure, uh, there is something that often happens in improv where you're asked to tell a true story from your life. Um, and you know, it's an anecdote. You're supposed to relay an anecdote, relate an anecdote. And I can never do, I hate it. I can never do it because I do not think of my life in terms of stories. I do not feel like someone who has stories from their life to tell. I just, it's just not me at all. Whoa. I, wow. Like you couldn't just tell me one right now? Did you have one? Do you have a go-to if, if put on the spot? Uh, no, certainly not a, a standard go-to because it's always, it, it's always, you have to, you have to uh, bring an anecdote based on a suggestion. So you can't just have a one ready to go. It, it won't be related. I feel like I've done shows with you where we had to do that. Yeah, I mean, you can force it, but I just don't... It's not I how just, you conceptualize. It's just not... Yeah, and so when you say you definitely think in terms of words, it's like, well, I mean, maybe I do, but I certainly don't think in terms of narratives. Hmm. It's interesting. Well, when I say words, though, I mean, like, it's words that are going through my head processing stuff. Like, going, was that okay? Do they hate you? Like, that's words. <laughs> mm, sentences to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand why people think there's other voices in their head because I'm like, it's sort of like that. Um, I was talking to my buddy Taz, who I just did the tour of the Yukon with. And, oh, that's who I was talking to about this. Not you, just some other white boy. Um, he, he was saying that, he's like, he's like, I have words in my head so much that sometimes my lips move when I'm thinking. Hmm. I, do, I don't, I would not say that about myself. But yeah, wow. it's, it's constant. I, but but I but if I had to say, like, if I were given the choice between words and emojis, it would be emojis. Oh, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have mansplained to you how you think. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I did. I think I mansplained that. <laughs> well, I don't know. You just you just it's thought lived, that we related in the same way. It's your lived experience, and I wasn't listening. <laughs> Not that you weren't listening. Um, do you want to get on to our things? Sure. Okay. Uh, as per usual, I really stressed out about answering the question this week. Um, and I, I came up with an answer that I'm pretty happy with. Um, okay, great. W- which sort of, which sort of speaks to some of the themes that we've been talking about here. So what's making me hopeful this week is, um, Maybe a, the bad side of hope. So interesting. Yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> okay. So coming to Los Angeles, um, I got this sort of like it was a beautiful, clear day uh, that you could just see the the kind of wonderful sprawl of the Anthropocene everywhere, and <laughs> it's okay. Los Angeles is a very Anthropocene city. And oh, absolutely. We brought it up in a previous episode. It means the epoch of terrestrial history where humans are having the greatest impact on the earth. Um, so just seeing this all happen, and I honestly had in the pit of my stomach this like butterflies feeling of like, I can make it here. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, I don't like admitting that. And also, I'm not here right now with any particular major hustle 
it's just that silly, it's like the American dream kind of feeling. And so why do you say that's the other side of hope? Because that's, so this this has come up from a few guests, like, is hope good? And I, I also have issues of like, did I just choose the wrong word for this podcast? But that's the kind of, I don't know if that kind of hope is good or bad. So if we're here to deconstruct the notion of what hope is, we're getting a little bit away now, maybe from like the end of the world stuff that we've been talking about. But that kind of hope is like, it's what is required in a way to do this work. But also it's the kind of thing where it's just like, I just believe I can do it. There's no research done. There's no work done. It's just the city of angels. And that's <laughs> messed up. <laughs> so it's a blind hope. Yeah. And it's coming. Where is that coming from? Like, is that coming from marketing movies? Where is that coming from? Wow. LA, the dazzling city where they pluck 42 year old women out of obscurity and make them <laughs> give them a web series or whatever it is I think I want. <laughs> um, I, have, I have modest requests, Los Angeles. Web series, yeah. please. But I, I can make it here. Like, like I just wonder. I just wonder if, if that is like is if that is truly starry eyed, or whether you were just struck by a certain kind of renewed vigor and potentially the 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 possibilities that coming to like a. Uh, you know, like like a fresh start can bring or whatever. Yeah, but it it feels like both things. And and we've discussed this before, the sort of tension between hope and delusion and very much in the industry that we work in. I don't know that you can know the answer to that question, but that does speak to a larger sense of what is starry-eyed blind hope and what is just delusion. And also in a way, like coming, like taking a very, carbon footprinty journey to a very polluted place on a fault line on the edge of the continent and going yes hope it, there's mm. so much blindness involved in that mm -hmm. and and it's something i've felt out west before of like this are we being hippies are we helping or are we just sort of like placating going to trader joe's and everything peppers individually wrapped anyway so what the fuck is this place uh-huh like a health yeah. food a health food store that's like oh we'll just triple bag that for you sweetie and i'm like but i i brought my own bag which also right. might be stupid and useless i don't know what canvas bags are good for what their impact yeah. is but you know like that kind of like health is for the body it's for your body it's for your purity it's not really thoughtful in a greater way it, i know i'm kind of throwing a lot of thoughts out but that's my hopeful for this week is like maybe a delusional weird blind goofy hopeful hmm. and i wonder how that is i wonder how that is related to simply the relaxing of bad feelings like hmm. i think that um that there is maybe something in the uh, the resignation to <laughs> like it's dark, but like no. since things things since things can't be fixed, may as well enjoy the time we have. Yeah, um, and, and and do and do try to tread lightly in your own way, but like we can't fix it. Yeah, I and I don't. I feel really bad feeling that way. There's like mm -hmm. this Rome is burning kind of um, hedonistic. I'm not a very hedonistic person, but like, you know, yeah. there, there's that in the mix. And I, I don't know what's good or bad. There was, I actually wish I'd had a chance to talk to him maybe in the future, but Jacob Zimmer, who's runs Nakai Theater in Whitehorse, where I was performing, he and I were talking at a bar one night and he was talking about a project kind of envisioning the year 2100. And I feel so sorry, Jacob, that I'm paraphrasing things that he was saying that I'd, I'd like to unpack with him, but that after everything goes to shit, then, then what happens after it might be a bit of a rebound and a bounce. And I'm like, Whoa, that's a whole other level of hopeful. It's very upsetting what we have to get through to get there. It will be mm -hmm. extremely dark, but 
maybe we just have to sit this phase out. A bunch of us have to die. I'm okay with that being me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it will certainly be me. Oh, you've got runner's legs. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, the the amount of time it will take for this, this to fully unfold will be beyond my lifetime. Oh, you think so? I think... I feel like there's going to be stabbings in the streets within five years. Within five years? I know, I my keep goodness. saying that. Okay, so here, that segues nicely into my answer, which <laughs> we need to get to because we're already at the 15-minute mark. Okay, um, thank you. So... This, this was an article uh, written in Slate Magazine by John Favini. He was, uh, he was a doctorate of, um, of what seems to be evolutionary biology, but also in a, from a socially, sociopolitical um, uh, slant. And uh, he's very much angered the actual evolutionary biologists because uh, he's throwing Darwin under the bus. Um, Ooh, is he a disruptor or an idiot? Yes, exactly. He... he uh, so even though the article is under the category of science uh, in Slate magazine, I think it's better received under like a cultural kind of heading. Right. Um, and he's just talking about uh, rejecting the idea of competition in nature um, and using Darwin as a sort of like, uh, f- you know, fundamental, most, you know, uh, the most competitive uh of philosophies when it comes to natural order of things. Most competitive? Um, Sorry. Like he's yeah. like the, the star of D- Darwin just sort of like the just sort of like the founder of, of yes. competition in nature. Right. Um and you know these the 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 evolutionary biologists in the comment section are are like, you know, really giving Darwin like a lot of benefit of the doubt and like being like, well, no, he in, he allowed for cooperation and this kind of thing within his theories, but I think it's better uh, understood in terms of like what generally the idea of survival of the fittest and competition in nature has brought about in our cultural sort of mindset. Oh, okay. Um, and so he is just uh, mentioning a lot of um, uh, like indigenous thinkers and scientists who are finding, you know, comp- uh, cooperation and collaboration in nature and, um, to show that perhaps it is better understood in in a kind of collaborative sense rather than a competitive sense, um, especially in regards to working towards some kind of climate crisis. Right. So, um, but but so he's not really throwing Darwin under the bus because uh, wasn't well, Darwin's big thing about predicting that butterfly that was going to have a big long tongue because he found a flower? That would require a butterfly with a big long tongue to pollinate it. Oh, it, you know, therefore pointing to cooperation. You're saying, but I guess that's cooperation, like between different things, and the butterfly is still trying to beat out its other butterflies. Yeah, he he's just sort of saying like um, that uh, that Darwin was like too focused on competition. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, and so, like, like, really, what I, what, who I wish he was throwing under the bus is someone like uh, Jordan Peterson, you know, who was yeah, like, I mean, in general, about, he should, right, yeah. he should have a, he should have a bus gently lowered onto him, sure, yeah, just lowered on top, just so that he can't move, not hurting him, just no, 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 just so that he can't move, no, 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 yeah, um, he needs to take a rest under a bus, just take a rest under under a bus, yeah, just take, just take a nap, and, Mr. Peterson, because I think that that is the kind of like. That's the, like, um, you know, nice band, shitty fans version of Darwin, where it's like, okay, well, you've taken it in this way that now you're talking about, like, lobsters or I don't know what, but, like, it's all shitty. And so, um, <laughs> and so I recommend this uh, piece in Slate, What If Competition Isn't As Natural As We Think, uh, that you can check out. Um, and that was very, uh, it was very, it was... Um, how did it make you feel personally? Like, did it sort of change your outlook of how you'd operate day to day? It made things feel, it made things feel not so, um, not so bad is how it made things feel. Right. And I think that, that, that relates back to this idea of just, you know, the, the lessening of the, of the tension. Um, and yeah, like the tension know, isn't, shifts. tension isn't necessarily helping the anxiety yes. isn't helping. It doesn't add anything. Yes. 
Right. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so we can just be a bunch of like eyes wide shut party people in LA and that's probably good for society. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm booking a ticket. <gasps> Thank goodness. I'll rent us a dungeon. <laughs> invite all our friends it's so nice to hang out with canadians in los angeles it'll be great yeah it'll wrap up by like 11 or whatever but oh everyone has to get the you know their lifts home you yeah or drive home yeah drive home and you got to have your one glass of champagne and then take five hours to sober up and then drive that's right yeah, yeah. just an easy nice mimosa because well, you have to see if the dog's okay yeah is that is that a thing I don't know. I'm just you have to see if the dog's okay here. But up in Dawson City, people were so stressed out they got to go home and make sure that the their fireplace is still going so that their pipes haven't all exploded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just different priorities. Yeah, and here it's like uh, I just want to make sure that my guava tree didn't get too overladen and fall over. Yeah, got to pick those guavas. <laughs> well, is that us for the week? I think that's us. Uh, I mean, I feel better in a way that might be totally out of it, but that seems appropriate. And you actually read something smart. Well, you know, different strokes. <laughs> um, we've got a conversation coming up with Brendan Gall. I'm really excited for everyone to hear it. I can't wait. And uh, I'll talk to you next week, Dan. All right. Sounds good. Okay, bye. Bye. Uh, we're here with Brendan Gall, everybody. Brendan is an old friend of mine, um, a wonderful writer, creator, actor, all of these things. We're in Los Angeles, California. Brendan, hello. Hi, Becky. Hi, how's it going? It's going really well. Thanks for uh, having me on your show. Oh my gosh, thanks for being on it. It's hard to book people in LA. They're really far apart and um, they always say yes, no matter what they yeah, feel. Yeah, we're trained to do that. Yes? Yeah, mm-hmm. is that true? Yeah. Well, I, I think I did that even when I lived in Toronto. I said yes to everything. It's sort of a good practice. I think so, because you don't know where opportunity is going to, you don't know, you don't know, except in retrospect, who is going to change your trajectory in one way or another. Yeah. So you just say yes to everything. And then you're like, oh, that thing I did opened up a whole world of people and collaborators. There's a, there's a, there's the difference. Mm -hmm. You did the thing. Oh, I see. You have to show up. Yeah. No, that's, that's really key. You can't just be like, yep, yep, yep. But people do. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then they're like, no. Oh, my, uh, let me give you my agent's number. Right. Um, that hasn't happened here. <laughs> anyway. You don't have my agent's number yet? Uh, I'd love it afterwards. Okay. Um, Brendan, so who are you? How would you define yourself in this world? What do you do? What do you like? Who, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a uh, human man. I am um, a, I'm a, uh, a dad who's co-parenting a, a young boy mm-hmm. um, with his mom. Um, I started in theater as an actor and then eventually a playwright and then transitioned into um, television writing and, and acting on, in TV and film. But I've transitioned pretty much exclusively into into writing for TV and film for the last five years, yeah, it's amazing. Um, which is what brought me down to Los Angeles from Toronto. Um I say Toronto now. It's oh, like Toronto. instead of Toronto? No, I just did it now. But That's cool. Yeah. Did um, you have to train your accent out? Yeah. I feel like I started to do that even in, in Toronto. I've tried. Um, just because of auditioning for things that I knew would be shown outside of Canada. Yeah. Um, I don't know how successful I am. I think I probably still sound way more Canadian than I think I do. Um, but they can just make your character from like Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. No one knows. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I should say before we get too far into this, we're, we're at Brendan's home. Um, there is someone else in the room. It's, uh, we think around 14 year old cat. Yeah. Weasel who can be, he's calmed down, but he can be quite vocal. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. He might be a surprise guest later. Heads up. Or if he doesn't make any sound, it's just like, I lied to everyone. (laughs) Maybe I don't own a cat. Yeah. So Brendan, um, here we are sitting in it's like beautiful day it's breezy and mm-hmm. warm uh it was rainy and windy last yeah. night really weather incredible way yeah let's talk about the weather <laughs> but there's something like really utopic feeling at times here mm-hmm. um that, that that's our environment so these days uh you do have a child mm-hmm. and this podcast is about hope and i 
you are the first parent that I've interviewed. I'm honored. I'm really, thank you, I'm honored. Um, but I'm really interested to know how you relate to notions of the future with a small child. Yeah. I mean, he's getting bigger all the time. <clears throat> well, I think um, Sawyer, my son, who just turned eight, he, um, I think in a very real practical way, forced me to be hopeful because mm. I, I, I have to, the timeline is now longer than it used to be when it was just me. I could, you know, sort of be like, well, I need to survive for the next few decades and then I can kind of fine if the world goes to shit, yeah. which I didn't completely feel, but like kind of, you do feel that a little bit of, you know, yeah. and now it's like, well, now, you know, I, I, I have to want this world to continue long enough for my child to have a positive life that doesn't end, you know, with, um, the apocalypse or, or, yeah. you know, not being able to breathe. Um, Oh, have you been reading about that? The apocalypse and not being able to breathe. Yeah. But like the phytoplankton. That, I have not been reading about that. That one really scared oh, me. Oh God. Um, anyway, yeah, it would be a not breathing situation. Yeah. And so, um, it's scary. Like, you know, the state of the planet, um, scares me, but also I think I feel like he's really positive in a lot of ways. I mean, he's worried about about it, but he seems to be kind of solution oriented. And how old is he? He's eight. Yeah. He's eight. Um, and he, you know, he talks a lot about pollution. You know, he was really pushing me um, to do, well, I, I was writing on an action show called Blind Spot. Yeah. And um, he knows that. He hasn't seen the show, but I've sort of given him the, like, the elevator pitch. <laughs> um, so he's very interested in the show, this mm -hmm. thing he's never seen, the sort of mythology of it. But he knew that we were trying to write an episode that had, um, a, a jailbreak from an island and we didn't end up doing it but right. um uh because it turns out that's very expensive but sawyer had this whole idea where he was like you should do this underwater prison break but the ocean is full of garbage that's a really good idea yeah like he's like he was like that would be so good for people to learn about like how polluted the ocean is by doing this fight sequence like on tv with just like plastic bags and like and and six-pack rings and you know that you're just fighting through as an environment. That's incredible. Yeah, and I feel like that would be, an, I feel like that should be a James Bond action sequence. Did you bring next. it into the room? I did, I absolutely did. And I mean, water is so expensive to shoot. Like we don't, we try to not even put, have someone go on a boat, you yeah, know? Yeah, they, they're not even allowed to drink water. No, yeah, it's water, so expensive. water is expensive. So we tend to stay away, we tend to stay away from those things and cheat those things. Um, but um, I absolutely brought it into the room. And yeah, so, you know, he's got ideas about, I also love that. So, blind spot. If anybody here doesn't know what it is, many what, of you don't. What is the elevator pitch? I mean, oh. I say nude tattooed woman shows up in yeah Times uh, Square. Uh, nude tattooed uh, lady with no memory shows right. up in Times Square uh, with uh, um, an FBI agent's name tattooed on her back, and so ends up getting brought to this FBI team, and all of her tattoos uh, decode to puzzles that help solve crimes. Yeah, now, <laughs> you know. here's what I love. And so is obviously- Sawyer's never seen this, no. and this is like his bedtime stories that now he's trying to write. Yes. <laughs> what an interesting world. Yes, and I like tell him the twists of like, you know, the ends of the of the seasons and stuff, and he's like, <gasps> Really? Yeah, he gets really engaged, yeah. I and wonder then, if anyone else is telling their children the plot of Blind Spot. I don't, I mean, all the other TV writers are, for sure. We've uh, done like, a hundred episodes or yeah, more? We, we did a hundred episodes, uh, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. That was the last one? Yeah. A hundred hours of television, if you mm -hmm. guys want it. If you count the commercials. Oh, yeah. Which I do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I just pause it. If I'm <laughs> streaming, I just pause it and wait. Mm -hmm. um, so, but uh, that is very beautiful. But like, th and this is a question that I'm asking myself a lot. Um, in practical terms, what can we do have mm -hmm. you thought about this i don't want to put you on the spot what can you do in practical terms um little things i mean like we try to we try to not you are you just talking about in terms of like how to make the world sustainable yeah, and for also your kid to, and also to feel that hopeful feeling right. like the, the child gives it to you but then what do you do with that feeling right you know well you know um sawyer went through a real um it's he still has it but for a while it was really hard to go for walks because he'd like he, every homeless person he wanted to give like all of our money to. Oh, um, and there's a lot here. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of homeless people in Los Angeles because you yeah. can survive all year round. Yeah. Um, 
But still, you know, he's like, dad, we got to give, we got to give that guy money. And I remember when we were living in the Valley, walking to school, there was, um, there was a homeless man on, on Ventura Boulevard, um, who didn't have shoes. And Sawyer was like, we got to give that guy something. And, oh. and I was like, I'm sorry, buddy. I don't have any money. And he was like, well, I have my lunch. I could give him some of my lunch. And I was oh like, okay. Gosh. So he like ran up and gave this guy, you know, his granola bars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and then came back and I was like, how'd it go? And he's like, he didn't say thank you. He didn't really like look at me. And I was like, oh, and we sort of had this conversation about what was maybe going on in his life And like, a little that's bit. okay. Yeah, that's what I yeah. said. I was like, it doesn't mean he's not grateful. It doesn't mean that it wasn't a really nice thing. And, you know, he took them. Um, yeah. But, you know, he's dealing with his own things and we we don't know what's going on with them. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, and like, and, and your concern for him is alleviated by just giving him the food you, there's that that's the end of the transaction you don't need to well there's you know that was what we could do in that moment yeah but i mean for sawyer to know of like you did the thing yes yeah this is part of what you're mm-hmm. gonna have to understand moving forward yeah and yeah. like i really you know when he when he has these impulses i'm i'm pretty big on like well if you want to do it then you have to go and do it like you have to go interact and like um and sometimes that is a really positive interaction for people who don't often get spoken to by kids because i think kids get protected from um from homeless people sometimes you know what i oh, mean oh i will say there are some despicable children in this city sure i have seen absolutely some crazy meltdowns yes um i mean meltdowns happen regardless uh-huh. but yeah it, this is very interesting though because um, I think I think one of the things, in my opinion, that's giving us a lot of angst moving forward mm-hmm. is feeling very disconnected, mm-hmm. and and also um, becoming extremely conflict and interaction averse. Yes, right. I, I and I I was born conflict averse. As well, I don't know if it was nurture or nature, but I certainly right. I certainly have landed there. <laughs> yeah, that's where you are now. <laughs> yeah, I really really uh-huh. don't like conflict. No, no um, but it it seems as we go into troubling times. Mm-hmm. That those skills are extremely important. Mm-hmm. I remember Sawyer's mom when, either when he was very little or maybe not even born. I think very little. We were in Toronto walking somewhere, and we were talking about the environment in some way. And I said something along the lines of like, "Well, we don't, we don't want to scare him. We don't want to." And Christy was like, "I think he needs to be scared, right? <laughs> you know, I think people need to be scared." And that was, I really that really stuck with me, you know, this idea that I was doing him a favor by like protecting him from what I sensed was a scary truth. Yep. And and Christie's take on it being like, well, why would we protect him from that when it's true? He needs to, and if we want anything to change, you know? Yeah, like don't go to the extreme and just terrorize your kids. No, constantly. not like, yeah, <laughs> just show him terrifying, yeah, pictures of people on fire. Uh, no. <laughs> well, they're also like, I think they're, this might also be sort of television sensationalism about America, but you know the people who are like, get a gun, protect your home, and teach right. that to their kids from a young age. That right. that scares me. I mean, yes, honestly, maybe learning how to use a gun isn't the worst idea. I don't think it's the best idea. Uh, it depends. I mean, I just talking to people up north who hunt. Sure, you yeah, know, don't, I don't feel like we need to do that here. in L.A. No, yeah, because what are you going to do? Not a lot of hunting. There's like coyotes, maybe. I'm not going to eat a coyote, so <laughs> never say never. I don't want to shoot one. Yeah, right. Um, or are you just? Well, I guess you got a kid, so it's different. Like I was gonna say, are you just ready to, to like, <laughs> waft into the soil as I am? <laughs> I for myself, kind of. I know, I for know myself, you. but I, I, and I, I feel like I say this too much, so now I'm gonna say it on your podcast. Good, please. But my sort of like mantra to myself, which I don't consider a negative uh, mantra, is we're all gonna be dead someday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I find that a very comforting notion in some ways. It all ends the same. Yeah. Um, and so I find that to be a great simplifier when I am feeling overwhelmed or anxious or or conflicted about something that like ultimately it all, we're all gonna end in the same place. So it's the stakes are not as high in some ways. Um, yeah. Or you can also interpret to make them, that they're very high because you know, our time is finite but yeah. so for personally i do feel very ready to waft into the soil but um i uh it's important to me that the world get better and not worse because i have a kid that i hopefully i'm going to leave behind for a long time right oh that made me kind of emotional <laughs> yeah i get i get emotional all the time and i and i was always a suck but as yeah. now that i'm a parent it has really really gotten exponentially yeah. um worse in terms of like how emotional i get about worse kind of everything more more yes <laughs> worse is the wrong word like like or does it feel worse no it feels good i like feeling feelings and i think yeah. um I, you know that's what i loved about theater that's what i love about great 
great any any storytelling or any you know improv or whatever it yeah. is but like i like feeling strong feelings whether it's joy or sadness or fear or whatever i think that's what kind of art does i wonder where we're at culturally with feelings i don't mean like arts and culture but i mean like as a society and you're um a canadian living in the united yes. states been here for five years mm -hmm. so that's sort of like uh liminal yeah. <laughs> american the canadian mm -hmm. yes. zone um but i wonder where we're at with feelings like it feels like we're overall a bit repressed or then emotional in like really mm -hmm. combative violent ways yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't it's know. It's a big question. I don't know because I feel like it's a very personal answer for me, which is like mm -hmm. I'm working very hard and very consciously to uh, feel more and to and to be more communicative with how I'm feeling, which is not something I came to naturally. Right. It's not something that I was, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess my mom talked about it, but I, I didn't feel, for whatever reason, I didn't feel comfortable really expressing how I felt very much. That was something I always have historically tried to deal with inwardly as opposed to what I felt was like burdening people with. And I see again, see that in my kid and um, his mom feels the same way, which is like, it's really our job to like teach him to express feelings and, yeah. and communicate them. He really feels. He feels a lot, but <laughs> he struggles just like we do with, he's not always comfortable expressing it. You know, yeah. he doesn't always want to share those things. Sometimes he does. But when he's young, this is when those building yeah. blocks are built. I mean, I have two nieces and a nephew in my mm -hmm. life and watching watching feelings with mm -hmm. that gaggle of children mm -hmm. is amazing. But you yeah. realize like like you were saying about confronting fear is like it is is it, it is of no service to them to no. to remove these things. I mean, to take away terror and trauma, yes, yeah. but Yo, no. I mean, I my job is to make him feel safe and loved. That's like my 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 chief job as a parent is to make yeah. him feel safe and loved and then everything else sort of comes after that. Um, but also I think it's important for him to feel um to be aware of what issues are and to not protect him from those things, especially things that could foreseeably be changed for the better. Well, and fear um, also protects us. It's, yeah. It can be negative, but it, Absolutely. You know, it's important to understand. Yeah. We have pain for a reason so that we mm -hmm. stop, you know, cutting our finger with a knife right. or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, that's really interesting. I had... Well, and just to finish the oh, feelings yeah, thing too. So not just, you know, personally at home, but also my job, you know, uh, uh, as a writer, we're constantly in a, in, a, in a TV writer's room talking about feelings. And I try to bring that in a lot. Really? Of, yeah. That's, that's new and that's great. I don't, I don't know if it's new or not. I mean, my experience in a TV writing room is very limited. I've been in, on two shows, so I don't know. I don't know what normal is, but um, I, I'm constantly thinking about what, what a person is feeling or going through or how this thing would make them feel or how they would react to it. And, and that for me is like what, that's the kind of, television or film or whatever i respond to is um shows where people go through something you know and yeah. and that's what i try to bring into the room is it's not just like a clue trail it's not just a procedural and the show is a procedural show yeah. but it's not we've never been just that we've always been a very character emotional you know centric show yeah no matter what you're writing yeah you know no matter what one is writing um whether it's sort of goofy one-liner sitcom yeah. stuff or it's more intense drama like it should come from feelings or else you can really tell yeah exactly <laughs> Just, and, and yeah you want it to feel human that's how it feels honest and i think that's how people connect to it yeah. so all that to say just that for my life feelings are very present kind of in all aspects <laughs> but i don't know if that's typical I and mean, maybe it's not well i don't i'm not too concerned about typical i right. guess i did ask <laughs> that i guess i guess i'm right now looking at these bigger things that seem um, immovable, mm -hmm. these sort of conflicts that are happening on a global scale and thinking, you know, how can we um, feel paralyzed by yeah. it? And it's actually really lovely to think that personal feelings are helpful in that. So Sawyer has a plan for how to fix politics in America. This is great. I hope it's as good as the garbage there in the are, oceans blind spot episode. Yeah, there are some, you know, some hurdles that we have to overcome. Right. The science isn't all the way there yet. You mean to do this? Yeah. He's eight. He's eight. Yeah. This is big, you know, big picture stuff, mm -hmm. you know? We'll figure out the details later. But his basic plan is to build a time machine. Oh, okay. Okay. So step <laughs> step one, you see that as a yeah. problem. But once we do that, I think it's pretty simple. So you build a time machine. You go back to um, uh, Donald Trump's childhood. And you, this is Sawyer's plan. Yeah. You find whoever bullied him. And you mm. prevent that person from bullying him. And then Donald Trump will 
not feel as fearful or angry and he will not grow up to be a fearful, angry um, person right. and inflict that on other people. And he'll be a much kinder person and maybe not be interested in politics at all, which wouldn't be a bad thing. I mean, that's very sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, we'd have to go back and fix a lot of people. Yes. But he's starting with Trump. Yeah. That's his, that's his, that's his plan. It's sort of a back to the future too. Mm -hmm. The opposite. Yeah. <laughs> of yeah. that, which I just watched and is very much, very scary in its predictive nature. Sure. Um, oh, I had another question. I guess we'll edit this out where I just pause and can't think of anything. I don't know. I mean, I get silence is nice. Oh yeah. Let's just sit in silence for a okay. bit. Oh, here we go. Um, so I want to go back to this notion of we're all going to die because it really struck me. <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting about that is like a mantra or meditation or a focus is that it it's calming and very scary all at once. Mm -hmm. Like it, it has two sides to it. Mm -hmm. And um, how does it feel to you to live in that space of, or are you scared? Are you scared by it? Yeah. Um, I am, but in a very manageable way. When I was a kid, when I was young, uh -huh. it, it was I was very scared of death, and it was often something I would think about at night. You know, once you're oh, in yeah. bed with the lights off, that was an, a a very a, a recurring theme of thought of like, oh God, I'm going to die, and what's that going to be like? Is it going to hurt? Am I going to be awake in my coffin? You know, all these sort of like kid fears of, oh, of what God. death is. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I, I don't remember anything specific that changed it, but I think it was just a gradual uh, slant into acceptance. Maybe as people started to die, you know, I went to funerals and things and it started to normalize a little bit to realize that that's um, a natural part of the whole deal. It's the cost of admission and that like it's a unifying thing. Have you and a natural thing? Have you experienced um, death, obviously from the outside, uh, I hope, that felt positive to you? Um, or, or correct? Yeah, I mean, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather lived to be 98 and was um, an intensely uh, at peace human. Wow. Um, you know, he, 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 he was, his wife really ran things. Um, she's a very strong matriarch and he was very content to kind of just go with the flow uh -huh. and, um, you know, as he got older, you know, family functions, you know, with a cottage, my dad and, and brother working on projects, he was always content to just sort of stand in the vicinity with his hands clasped behind his back, kind of looking, looking at these things that he used to do, you know, he worked with wood, he, he had a lumber company, he was a very physical um, guy, and then obviously got old and couldn't do those things, but was very happy just to see whatever was going on, whatever, whether people were cooking or kids or whatever. And he just, um, he was one of the few people I saw who I felt like I really had sensed no form of regret in him. I didn't see like him wishing something had gone a different way. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. And I, and so when he, when he finally got sick and was, went into the hospital and was going to die, like, he reverted to this sort of childlike state. And I, I remember going to say essentially goodbye and being like, just telling him it was like, it was okay. You know, it was like, it's you can just let go. It's totally okay. You know? Um, and it was, it was hard, but it felt fine. Like yeah. it felt natural, oh, you know? This is such an emotional interview. <laughs> it's making me really emotional. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Um, and we don't all get to see that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm now crying in yeah. his home. Sorry, I got a little choked too. Um, no, but this is what we've been talking about. The feelings are important. Mm -hmm. That was the that was probably the most the closest I got to death before it happened. You know, right. a lot of other relatives, it was like, oh, this person died, and yeah. it happened away from me. And yeah. then you know, going to funerals and being around the surviving family is its own different kind of thing. But that was felt very unique in terms of an experience. What do you like at a funeral? I'm a psychotic mess and people get scared at how much right. feeling I have, like wailing like those wailing ladies. Well, one of the very first funerals I went to was my mother's father's funeral, which happened when I was 16. And I gave his eulogy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, out west. He was a uh, farmer. Wait, I gave a eulogy for my mother's father. You did? Sorry, I just remembered that. <laughs> one of, one of uh, yeah, I did. Were you a mess while you did it? I held it together, okay, and I spoke from, at my grandmother's graveside. Mm -hmm. We didn't do a service, but right. they were like, oh, you're an actor, you're a writer, you should right. do this, the rabbi we were talking to. And I was like, me? Anyway. I really wanted to, to do it. Really? I, I don't know, and I don't remember. I, 
I just felt a really strong desire to do it, and they That's let amazing. me, which is which was crazy. Um, but I, I really, and I, I just, I think I just felt like I had things to say about him. And then when my dad's mother died the following year, he wanted me to do her eulogy, and so I said yes. And then I didn't know what to say. Uh-huh. And I, and I loved my grandmother; she was wonderful. But I just didn't feel like I knew her in the same way. There was a level yeah. of sort of waspish removed to her, right? Um, uh, and I, I, I ended up not. You know, I stayed up all night and had nothing, and I had to sort of tell my father, "I'm so sorry, I don't." And he was so good about it, you know. And he ended up speaking, um, but uh, th- that was hard, you know. And then when my grand, when my when my dad's father died, who I was speaking about yeah. saying goodbye to, I gave his eulogy, and I got so emotional, I was barely intelligible. Like yeah. I was so overcome with feelings, and it was like <laughs> it was really hard. But I also was very like proud to do it, and especially. My dad's side of the family is very waspish and very reserved and loving, like wonderful people, but not a feeling first family. Does it scare them to see it? I think maybe, but I (laughs) I mean like, um, I was so happy to do it in a way. It was not what my plan was. (laughs) (laughs) I had had a much more sort of composed plan and it ended up being a much more like guttural, um, like emotional response. Mm, this is what improv is. <laughs> right. Yes. And I just went with it. And in this room of <laughs> Yes and in this room of Protestants. Yes, and to breaking down in front of a bunch yeah, of repressed people at yeah, a funeral. Yeah. Um well, that's amazing. Yeah, I cried. I cry I can tell it's upsetting or scaring people when I'm at a funeral. It, oh really? It, you it, get yeah. anyone. Anyway, oh, my brother's wedding? Uh-huh. I lost my mind. I can't. It's, I think that's great. I do too. Well, I was What's sitting, to be lost? My brother has a stepsister. We have a complicated family, but I was sitting next to one of his stepsisters mm-hmm. and he came out to walk down the aisle to uh, A Whole New World from Aladdin. And I just, I mean, <laughs> I just couldn't. Yeah. So me and I mean, that's a lot. Leah, I actually wonder if you know her. But um, she and I just immediately were like, <laughs> and I brought, I brought cloth handkerchiefs. Right. Because <laughs> I knew. Oh, God. But I was like, oh, of all things, like a childish thing you liked. Just yeah. made, I lost it. I scare every person I sit next to on an airplane. because Do you I'm cry on an airplane? Watching movies. <gasps> Okay. Like, I'll be on an airplane and I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to watch Terms of Endearment. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. I wonder I wonder <laughs> if it holds up. And then, like, just cut to me, just, like, waterfall of tears out of my face next to this poor guy who's, like, watching Transformers take back the night or whatever it's called. <laughs> just not knowing what to do. Okay. This is amazing that you bring this up. Mm-hmm. And this will be sort of what we end on. I'm looking at time. Sure. But, well, you can talk, to after. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no. We will end on my long thing. Um, So Dan Byrne and I, who's the co-host of this, we do these weekly check-ins. But he and I had, we we were trying to think of like what sort of podcast we wanted to do. We wanted to work together. Potentially I wanted to work with him more than he wanted to work with me. We'll Mm -hmm. see. We can talk it out. Um, But the other idea for a podcast was called Mile Cry Club. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. And it was just interviews with people about what movies made them cry on airplanes. And weirdly... Last night, I was hanging out with Anessa Frantoski and Adam Colley, Second City People mm-hmm. from Toronto. And Adam was talking about how he always cries on yeah. airplanes. So, I don't know. There's Ma- a physiological phenomenon, I think. There's something about the atmosphere. And, or I, I don't know. There's, I've, it's, I've, a, it, they, it's a thing. It, it's a very vulnerable space. It's stressful. Okay, so. I'll tell you another movie that made me cry on airplane. I was going to say, we'll make this a segment. Is oh, Mile Cry Club. I'll ask everyone if, at yeah. the end of this if a movie's made them cry on an airplane. Okay. Yes. I mean, so many movies that I can't begin to catalog. Them, but one that really stands out <laughs> is um, uh, the uh, Bernie Mac Ashton Kutcher vehicle. Guess who? Yes, this is a great one to cry to. Absolutely. Wait, I don't know what it is, but the cast already. Okay, so so it's a remake of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, um, but not the game Guess Who. No, great. but it's it's reversed. So in the original, Sidney Poitier was was the was the boyfriend <laughs> coming to this white family, and in this one, Ashton Kutcher is this white boyfriend coming coming to this black family. Interesting choice. Um, and I don't remember specifically what made me cry but i believe what it was was a coming together at the end of this of this dad and this and this boyfriend there was kindnesses those those things make me cry in movies a lot is kindness is done yeah that'll reduce me to tears every time i i cried on the airplane on the way here uh-huh. to rocket man sure the end yeah um i have like a really i'm really emotional about gay rights issues because yeah. it's just like like watching, and this is a story that tells you kind of, uh, I guess, looping back to what we were talking about of like right. not supporting your child in yes. who they are. Yes. And then um, 
and then I, I get I get very like overwhelmed with emotion when things work out, or the mm-hmm. storytelling tells me that things mm-hmm. work out. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody did not make me cry, no. <laughs> but Rocket Man at the end, just like personal, yeah, personal photos, yeah, and I'm just like. You don't deserve the struggle to get here. Yeah. And again, sitting next to a woman, mm-hmm. this time in a surgical mask. Okay. <laughs> as, yep. as I like. Of a time. Weep and my nose runs mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. That's great. Well, I was going to say too, is, you know, that's another thing that gives me hope is, you know, um, talk a lot about like LGBTQ um, rights. Mm-hmm. Um, Sawyer's mom is is gay and um, and it's a prominent theme in, in his childhood and he's so... He's so open about it. And, yeah. and I, I see that happening in his school. And that's really different than like when we were kids and like, you yeah. know, bad things were gay. And like, where did you grow up? Uh, Nova Scotia and right. then and then Ontario. Right. You know, in Vancouver, um, it was a little more. It was better. You I mean, there was still bullying. Uh-huh. But certainly I was of the crew that was like, if you're queer and you're out in high school, we got your back. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so you were. I mean, by the time I got into high school, it was better. And I went to an arts high school. Yeah. And so there was, you know, openly out people who were uh, um, celebrated and, and, and you know. But the kids are all right. They're just like, the, yeah. they're even a bit older than Sawyer. They're like, what's with all these old people labels? And I love yeah, it. Yeah. And Sawyer doesn't get why. Like, why are people up in people's business? Like, why are they? What, who cares? get the big deal. There isn't one. Who's, <laughs> yeah. Who's being hurt here? You know, like he doesn't get it. It's yeah. kind of cool. Um, so that is a big thing. Yeah, big honestly. source of hope for me. Absolutely. As well. Mm-hmm. well, that's a wonderful place to end it. We've done fantastic. And we launched Mile Cry Club. What a, oh, great. There's no one I'd rather launch it with, Brendan. Absolutely. Um, you're not that active on social media, are you? No. Oh, plug your movie. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, uh, uh, my friend Aaron Abrams and I um, wrote a screenplay with a story help by Martin Garrow. And um, we wrote this movie called The Lovebirds that's uh, coming out this April and is turning out to be like kind of maybe like a bit of a thing. I saw ads for it on Twitter and I got so excited. It stars Camille Nanjani and Issa Rae. It's directed by Michael Showalter. It's so exciting. And it's being distributed by Paramount. So um, it should be around. Yeah, everyone go see that. The Lovebirds. (laughs) Okay, thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Becky. Bye. The H Word Podcast is produced by Stacey McGonigal for The Shop. Follow The Shop on Instagram at the underscore shop to. Artwork this week by Margot Williamson and our theme music as always by Laura Barrett. For information on all of our artists and our guests, please follow us everywhere at The H Word Pod. <laughs>